Um, I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Daniel chapter 1, uh, beginning in uh, verse 3. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and just the abundance of blessings that you choose to give to us every single day. And just pray, Lord, that you'd pour your Holy Spirit down upon us in a phenomenal way. And uh, give me now the words and the wisdom that you'd have me to speak. And Lord, I pray that uh, you'd give each one of us an understanding into your word, allow us to know exactly what it is that you want us to know. And Lord, we just praise you for that. And Lord, we just thank you for the fact that we can uh, have your word. And Lord, that you speak to us through your word, and teach us all the things that you want us to know. Allow us to be faithful stewards. Of, the, of your word in which you blessed us with. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank Miss Lynn for uh, providing the, uh, the meal for us this evening. And also uh, Carrie and Penny for uh, bringing the drinks and, uh, and some desserts for us as well. And so we appreciate that. That's a, a great, great blessing. Amen. Um, tonight as we look in uh, the Word of God, Daniel chapter 1 beginning in verse 3, we're going to uh, be looking uh, at indoctrination tonight. And of course we all know what uh, indoctrination is, we all understand what indoctrination is all about. Uh, but as we look at this, it's without a doubt a, a tool of Satan and we see it here clearly Used. I talked a little bit about it last week. We're going to talk more about it uh, this this evening. So as we look at Daniel chapter 1, reminded there it is uh, that Jerusalem had been invaded. Judea had been invaded. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldean army, they had come in. They had taken over Jerusalem. They had uh, captured the king. They would taken many of the precious uh, articles out of the uh out of the temple and they brought them, brought it back uh, to Babylon. And so as they, they've done all this, they also took um, 10,000, at least the first go around, they took at least 10,000 youth with them and they took them back to Babylon. And what we're going to see tonight is they had a very specific purpose. Nebuchadnezzar had a very specific purpose very specific reasoning of, uh, of bringing them back. So as we look in the Word of God, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says right there, Then the king ordered Apanaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. And so what we find right now is that First of all, uh, Nebuchadnezzar used this man by the name of Apanaz. And so as we look at this in the translation which I use, I use the New American Standard Translation. And in the New American Standard Translation, it says, in the chief of his officials. Now, if you're looking at other translations, it, it, uh, for instance, the King James says, uh, master of his uh, eunuchs. And if you're looking at the ESV, for instance, it says chief eunuch. And so when you look at those uh, that terminology, it's, it's different, isn't it, than, than uh, what my translation says. And there is a debate, okay, was Apanaz a eunuch and was he himself a, the, the uh, chief of the eunuch or the, the, uh, the master of the eunuchs, as it says there in the King James? Now, there is a bit of a disagreement with that. Some people say that he was. 
the chief eunuch. Some people say, uh, as, again, as the King James says, master uh, of his eunuch. So why doesn't the NS, uh, NASB, the New American Standard, translate it that way? Well, he could have been the master of the eunuchs or the chief of the eunuchs. But an interesting thing is we look at this in uh, Isaiah chapter 56, verses 4 through 5. You don't have to turn there, but um, if, if you want to write that down, look at it later. It, it's also translated as chief eunuch. And there it's probably pretty clear that the that word right there that is being used and being translated again, we're reading Hebrew. The original language is in the Hebrew, and then it's translated into the English language. So there in Isaiah, it's very clearly a eunuch in which is talking about. Now, it was very common uh, back in the ancient days and even not so ancient days. Uh, that when somebody took somebody in as a slave, somebody took them in, uh, they were their master, what they would then do, don't get too graphic about it, but they would castrate them. And after they would castrate them, that would then cause them to be a eunuch. And a part of them doing that is that all of their allegiance went toward their master, right? Their allegiance didn't go to anybody else. All of their allegiance in every single way, shape, and form went to their uh, their master. So if somebody was castrated, that would make them impotent. Therefore, he would not have no use for a woman, right? And so, therefore, all of his time, all of his energy, and all of his uh, influence there would be for his master. And so some people look at Daniel, and some people look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they say, well, if Abinaz was a eunuch and he was the chief of the eunuch, then eunuchs, then the, the reason why he ended up getting them and was charged over them is because then, then obviously Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also then turned into eunuchs. However, there's no indication anywhere in the Bible that that is the case, right? There's no indication anywhere in the book of Daniel that that was the case. And not only is it not the indication, one of the things they say is that, well, apparently Daniel never got married or apparently Daniel never had any children because it's never mentioned that he's married and it's never mentioned uh, that he has any children. Well, you look at the great majority of the other folks that are mentioned in the Bible and very seldom are their wives mentioned unless it's somebody that is directly related to the biblical narrative. Their wives are not mentioned unless it's somebody that's directly related to the biblical narrative. Then their children aren't mentioned, right? And so that's not a very good argument of saying Daniel was a eunuch. But also probably what is the most clear that Daniel was not a eunuch was that the fact that he wasn't really brought in as a slave. He wasn't really brought in as a servant. Nebuchadnezzar had a different plan. Nebuchadnezzar had different motives for Daniel, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and for all of these others. And that plan wasn't for them to be the, his, his eunuchs or his, his slaves to where he would be their master. Now, naturally, uh, he was the king, right? And, and you were in uh, this authoritative 
kingdom where he is the absolute king. He is uh, the, the sovereign king. Nobody else has any say so. What he says goes. So naturally he would be the master just by them, by him being their king, right? But there's no indication whatsoever that they are, uh, or did become rather, eunuchs. And it could be that Apanaz was a eunuch, but really the wording in there is a little bit fishy. It was translated, and, and clearly the indication in Isaiah was that, they, uh, that, that that was a eunuch. But the exact same wording is also used in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17. What, but what really brings it home to be interesting to us, the exact same wording, the exact same title, if you will, and, and um, the title there is translated here in the, in the New American Standard, is um, uh, the uh, chief of his officials, right? That's a title. That the, a particular type, just like somebody would be a general or a lieutenant or a sergeant, that would be a particular title. Well, that exact same title was used in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 38 by, for, by, the man, uh, by a man named Pitiphor. Now, if you're familiar with that particular story of why Pitiphor was mentioned, then you're also familiar with the fact that he did have a wife, and that wife had a thing for Joseph, and she wanted Joseph for, for him, himself, herself, uh, but he wasn't having any of it, ended up uh, getting lied about, and ended up getting thrown into the, the dungeon. So obviously, Pitiphor was not a eunuch. Right, so that mean that that very clearly tells us is that word, though sometimes does clearly refer to a eunuch. It doesn't always refer to a eunuch, and probably the better translation there would be the chief of his officials. Now, if all we were talking about was Apanez, then it really wouldn't be that big of a deal, wouldn't be that big of an issue. But the thing is, is that we really need to understand that the Bible does not support anywhere in any way, shape, or form that Daniel or that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or any of these Jewish young men that were brought from Jerusalem into uh, Babylon became eunuchs. Rather, Nebuchadnezzar had a very different plan for them. Now, when you look at this, it's interesting that in verse 3, Nebuchadnezzar only wanted a very specific group of people, right? A very specific group of people. He didn't want, he, he didn't say, go get all of the youth from Jerusalem and Judea. He didn't say, you know, grab, grab everybody that's under a certain age, grab all of them. No, he was very, very specific about this. Again, in verse 3, it says, then the king ordered Apanaz and his chief, uh, the chief of his officials to bring some, not even all of these, but some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Now, here was the qualification. They had to be sons of Israel. Right? They had to be Jewish. They had to be Israelites. That was the qualification that they had to be Israelites. 
and some of them included the royal family and of the nobles. Now, when you look at that, the royal family and of the nobles, then we have to ask ourselves the question, well, was David, uh, I'm sorry, was uh, Daniel of the royal family? Now, the Bible doesn't answer that question specifically, right? But as we begin to look at this, it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar went after the royal family. He went after the nobles. And so when you begin to think about that, we begin to, to understand that, that they were from the royal family. And what does it mean to, uh, to be a noble? It means that they were current leaders or future leaders, right? Current leaders or future leaders. You, you look at uh, who is now King Charles over there in, in England. And then you look at, uh, you know, you look at his son. His son is not yet a leader but he is a future leader. So that, that would be nobility right there. Either a current leader or a future leader within the royal family. Now, those within the royal family that may not necessarily be leaders and may not necessarily ever be leaders, but they are within the royal family. But included in that is those who are either leaders or in line to be leaders in one way, shape, or another. So it's interesting that Nebuchadnezzar directly targeted these individuals, right? These were the qualifications. There was actually several qualifications. We're going to look at the rest of them for, for them to go after, to capture them, to take them, and bring them back to Babylon. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, well, why? Why did Nebuchadnezzar specifically target these individuals? In fact, most of the time, whenever an army would go in, they'd usually kill all the men, right? Maybe they'd save the women for themselves. Or if they didn't kill the men, then they would enslave them and make them their servants, make them their slaves. Well, again, clearly... That's not what Nebuchadnezzar did. And we'll see that that's pretty clear. That's pretty evident. We'll see that here in uh, just a minute. And so when we look at this, what was Nebuchadnezzar's motive? What was Nebuchadnezzar's mindset in doing what he was doing? Because it's kind of an unheard thing, uh, uh, unheard of thing that, in which he was doing. Now, when we, what's very clear is where they came from. Where did they come from? They all came out of Judea. So then most likely they were all from the tribe of Judah. Which that's when things really begin to get interesting. So they were probably of the royal bloodline. Right? Possibly even nobles who... These were youth, so they wouldn't have been current leaders, but possibly future leaders, right? In line for the throne. Maybe they were going to be the next king uh, or whatever. And, you know, but clearly they were of the tribe of Judah because they were living in Judea, right? So we, we find that pretty clear within Scripture. Now, something that's kind of interesting is we look back 
little over a hundred years before all of this transpired, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to King Hezekiah. Isaiah had direct access to the king. And so he was prophesying to Hezekiah, who was the king during Isaiah's time, which was probably about 120, 130 years before this took place, right? Before Nebuchadnezzar's day, before Daniel's day. So a long time before this took place, and this is what Isaiah the prophet had to say to King Hezekiah. In Isaiah chapter 39, verses 5 through 7. Says then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah said, This isn't my word, this is God's word. Right? God is speaking this to you. Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that, uh, that your fathers have laid up in store to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons. Will, who, will, uh, who will issue from, uh, from you, whom you will beget, will uh, be taken away, and they will become officials in the place of the king of Babylon. Now what a phenomenal word right there, spoken at least 100 years, if not about 120 or 130 years before all of this took place. Isaiah is telling King Hezekiah, everything's going to be taken out of here, everything. And, and that's eventually what Nebuchadnezzar did. Didn't do it at first. Remember, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it kind of happened in phases. But eventually, everything was wiped out. Even the temple was torn down. Clearly, everything was taken out of the temple before it was take, uh, torn down. The whole city, all of the walls, everything totally destroyed, right? Everything wiped out. When they eventually did go back to Israel, there was nothing left. There was absolutely nothing left. It was all completely destroyed. Jerusalem was nothing but a heap of rubble, right? That's really all it was, just a, a big heap of rubble that had to be completely 100% rebuilt. And so Isaiah says to Hezekiah, that's what's going to happen. Everything. And then he says to Hezekiah, some of your sons, some of which you will beget. In other words, they will be from your direct lineage. They're going to be taken away. And not only will they be taken away, they're going to become officials for the king of Babylon. Now, we don't know if anybody else became an official within Babylon, but what we do know is that Daniel ended up becoming the second most powerful person. The only one that was any more powerful than Daniel was King Nebuchadnezzar himself, right? So he became the second most powerful so could this be a prophecy of Daniel? We don't have record of anybody else becoming officials, but clearly he became an official. You know, isn't that a phenomenal thing? You know, the amazing thing about the Word of God is God's, God's always telling us what's going to happen. Uh, 
lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, this is exactly what's going to happen. Bang, bang, bang. Hundreds of years before it happens. And then it happens exactly like he said it's going to happen. <laughs> right? So that's an amazing thing about God. Now, who could do that but God alone? God is the only one that can do that. So obviously, clearly, Daniel became an official. So Daniel fulfilled this prophecy. Could Daniel have been a direct descendant of Hezekiah? Now, what's so interesting about that? What's interesting about that is that Hezekiah, we know it's because the Bible gives us those genealogies, right? All of those wonderful genealogies that we find. And, and, and most of the time, you know, just be honest, I do it too, so don't worry about it. When you're reading through the Bible and you get to those genealogies, you just kind of, if you read it at all, you just kind of speed read through it. <laughs> right? All those names you can't pronounce anyway. And so you're just kind of hurrying through it. But they're there for a reason, right? They're there for a purpose. And one of the things that tells us that Hezekiah was the 13th successor of King David, right? The 13th successor underneath King David. He was down, directly down the, uh, the line, direct, directly related to King David. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, could it be, just keep this in your mind for just a minute. Could it be that Satan had in his mind, now, now he had tried destroying Israel time and time and time and time again, right? He tried corrupting all of mankind. That didn't work. He'd, he'd gone after Israel time and time and time again. And tried to wipe them off of the map. Tried to wipe them off of the face of this earth. Now, why was Satan so interested in wiping out Israel? Why is Satan still so interested? Why do people hate Israel so much? Why do people hate the Jews so much? Why have been... There's no question about this. They have been the most persecuted people group on the face of this earth. There's no question about that, right? And the question is why? Well, the answer to why Satan wants to wipe them, and it is rooted in Satan. Yes, he was using Nebuchadnezzar at this time. Now, yes, God is sovereign as we looked at last week. Remember, as we looked at last week, God's sovereign. In verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. So God gave Nebuchadnezzar the land, right? God gave it to him. But you know, the funny thing about the tactics of Satan, when you're on God's side, Satan, God uses Satan for his purposes sometimes too. Amen. He uses them as a pawn to control the wicked and move the wicked. Right? But all of it is going to play out because God always has the back of His people. Amen? No matter what. God always has the back of His people. But obviously, Satan is behind the scenes whispering into the ear of Nebuchadnezzar, go capture them. This is the plan. Go capture them. 
and specifically go after the royal family. Why? Why specifically go after the royal family? Well, he had a purpose. He had a, he had a plan. The reason why it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember after Adam and Eve sinned, they were tricked by the, or lied to, really, by the serpent. The serpent was really the devil. And so they were lied to by him. And so Satan knows Genesis chapter 3. Don't think Satan doesn't know the Bible. You better believe Satan knows the Bible. Amen? And Satan knows Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And what does Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 say? And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Getting bruised on the heel hurts, right? Very painful to get bruised on the heel. Getting bruised on the head is a death blow, right? So the seed of the woman is going to destroy the seed of the serpent. Now, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it's kind of unclear. If you heard that, if you heard Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 all by itself and you didn't have any knowledge or any concept of the rest of the Bible, you'd have no idea what in the world is that talking about, <laughs> right? But when you have an understanding of the rest of the Bible, that God had a particular one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Today we know his name. His name is Jesus. But God had a particular one in mind that was going to come down as the seed. Right? He was going to come on down. And he was going to come down through the lineage of this woman. But then God established a family. And then it became very clear of exactly what family he was going to come from through Judah. Then it became even clearer that he was going to be a direct descendant of David, right? And who are the direct descendants of David? That's the royal family. So if you're going to get to the Messiah, what do you do? You go after the royal family, right? You go after the royal family. Now, again, he tried destroying them in the past. Didn't work. Tried dividing them. Didn't work. Tried enslaving them. Didn't work. Nothing he tried worked. So let's come up with a different plan. Let's bring the royal family in and let's indoctrinate them. Right? Let's get them on my side to where they're not going to serve God no, they're going to serve me. And oh boy, I'll tell you what, Satan's still doing it to this day. Is he not? He's still heavily in the business of indoctrination. And I believe that's beyond a shadow of a doubt what he was doing. I, I think it's very clear in this text of Scripture that's what he was doing. Look at verse 4. Who, who, what are some of the other qualifications 
of who he was going after, youths. You know, he's not going to get the older folks that are set in their ways and they know what they know and you're not going to change them. They're not, you're not going to move them. <laughs> right? But let's get some of these youth. Right? They're still impressionable. We can still change their mind. We can still change their heart. Right? Now, as we think about that, here it is, the youths. What's also interesting is we know from... Uh, we know from ancient writings from Plato, for instance, ancient writings from Plato, youths according to Plato where uh, Persian boys began their formal education at 14 years old. That's when Persian boys began their education. Where was Babylon? Right in the heart of Persia. <laughs> right? Right in the heart of Persia. And so they had that Persian mindset at the age of 14. We're going to take these youths, as the Bible tells us, and we're going to bring them in. Also, they had to be of no defect. Which is interesting. Who do you use? You use those of no defect according to... Jewish law in Leviticus chapter 21 verses 17 through uh, 18 if somebody had somebody of the Levitical family which was the priestly family if they had a physical defect they could be used in other places but they could not be used in the sanctuary and they could not be used in the temple right and so that was one of the Jewish requirements. Nebuchadnezzar obviously wanted people that were usable, right? So they had to be youths. They had to be shapeable. They had to be teachable, right? He wanted boy, uh, young boys that were teachable, probably at the age of 14. Daniel and the rest of the boys were probably at the age of 14 or right at it. We don't know specifically because the Bible doesn't tell us, but probably right around that age what else does the bible say youths in whom was no defect who were good looking they were good looking what what does that mean not only are they impressionable but they could leave an impression right they wanted somebody that was good he wanted somebody that was good looking showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom they had to be intelligent they had to be smart, not only showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with this understanding and discerning knowledge. They had to be teachable, right? So he was getting not only of the royal family and the nobles, but he was getting the best of the best. And what was the purpose of him specifically seeking them again i believe he was intentionally targeting the royal family because he wanted to corrupt the royal family right now the funny thing is, is the royal family was already pretty corrupt <laughs> they were already very wicked right and wasn't serving god but as we begin to look at this you look at our colleges today our colleges are a 
breeding ground for indoctrination, right? They are a feeding frenzy of Satan for indoctrination. Not all of them, but most of them, especially our Ivy League colleges, they are a breeding ground for indoctrination. And you look at those and say, wouldn't they fit most of these qualifications? Yeah, they would. Satan knows who he's going after. He's not only going after people in which he can influence, but he's also going after people that can turn around and be influential. Right? So once he gets them indoctrinated, they can continue that process of indoctrination by indoctrinating other people. Right? And so that's how Satan works. And he's been doing it for a long, long, long time. This isn't anything new, right? He's been doing it for a very, very long time. So when we think about this, we begin to understand, we see his clear plan. So he says that they need to be uh, endowed with wisdom uh, and understanding and discerning knowledge and who had ability for serving in the king's court. There we go. We hit the nail on the head. He wanted them to serve not God, but he wanted them to serve him. Right? Because the king of Israel, what was he supposed to do? And what did God tell, uh, tell Solomon? As long as you seek after me the way your father David sought after me, you'll never lack a man that will rise up to the throne after you. Right? The primary responsibility of the king of Israel was supposed to be to seek God. Now, pretty much all of them, even Solomon, failed. Even David failed. David sinned against God. Right? They pretty much all failed when you begin to look at that. Because Satan was going after them too. But now let's take the royal family. Let's get them out of Israel. Get them over here to Babylon. Let's wipe out of their mind everything they've been taught up to this point, And teach them what we want them to know. And it's very clear right here within the scripture. Because he said right here. Ability to serve the king's court, still in verse 4. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans and Babylonians are, are one and the same, right? Chaldeans and Babylonians are the same people. But that's their culture. The culture is the Chaldean culture. They're living in Babylon, right? So when you begin to think about that um, and begin to understand that, that very clearly is his plan. Now they also clearly weren't slaves because it says in verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were enter to enter the king's personal service. Now what an amazing thing right there. We're going to re eat right off the king's table. So they weren't just going to eat 
the good food, they were going to eat the best food, <laughs> right? The king ate the best food. Now, as we're going to see next week, yes, it was food sacrificed to idols. And Daniel and his friends said, no, thank you. But it was the best food. It was the best of the best food. They were eating filet mignon every night. <laughs> they, they were eating like the king. You hear that expression, you know, we, we ate like kings tonight. Well, every night, every day, they were eating like kings. Right? The best of the best was given to them. They're going to give, be given a three-year education. Their whole focus during this time was to educate or indoctrinate Teach them the way of the Chaldeans. Teach them the language of the Chaldeans. Wipe away from their mind everything that they've learned up to this point and re-educate them. Now I think that's pretty clear when you begin to look in verse 6. Because it says in verse 6, it says, Now among, uh, among them from the sons of Judah, okay, they from Judah, of the tribe of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay? Hebrew names. Okay? Then you can look in verse 7. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. We're going to get rid of all that Hebrew stuff. right? We're going to get everything Hebrew... We're going to wipe it away. We're going to reteach you. We're going to retrain you. We're going to indoctrinate you. Then the commander uh, assigned to them new names. And to Daniel, he assigned the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, uh, Meshach. To Azariah, Abednego. Now, what's interesting when we look at this, Daniel... The Hebrew name means God is my judge, right? It's a name that directly points to God. Well, he was renamed Belteshazzar. You can see Baal right at the beginning of that, false god Baal. Baal, protector of his life. That's what Belteshazzar means. Hananiah literally means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. Named his, his name was changed to Shadrach, which literally means uh, a, a command of Aku. Okay, command of Aku. Who's Aku? That is the moon god. One of their many, many gods. The moon god. Mishael, that name, Hebrew name, is who is what God is. Who is what God is? No one's like our God, right? We, we say that phrase to this day. No one's like our God, right? Who is what God is? Well, his name was changed to Meshach, which is who is what Aku is. The exact opposite of the Hebrew name. And then we look at Azariah and Yahweh will help. I believe there's a little word play in the book of Daniel um, and his name written in the book of Daniel is Abednego, okay? Which would mean a servant of Nego, but 
we ask ourselves the question, who's Nago? Nobody really knows. Most people believe that his real name was probably actually servant of Nabo, but he didn't want to be a servant of Nabo. So instead, they called him Ben-Nego. Uh, and so he, he wasn't the servant of Nabo, which would have uh, pointed back to Balak. And so as we look at this and we look at all of these things, clearly this indoctrination was taking place from the very beginning. Let's change their names, erase the Hebrew, and instill the Chaldean pagan gods and start educating them in that way. Same thing is happening today. In fact, it's always happened, right? That's always been a tactic, one of Satan's many, many tactics. You have to ask ourselves today, how well does indoctrination work? It works really good. It works really, really good. You ever heard of a thing called evolution? You ask 99% of society today, why do you believe in evolution? Well, it's scientific. No, it's not. Evolution's not scientific. Science, for something to be scientific, it has to be observable. Right? That's the basics. That's science 101. It has to be observable. There's nothing in evolution that is observable. There's actually more observable science that points to creation than to evolution. Right? You look at things going on today. Indoctrination. You know, when we begin to think about where we are as a society today, this push, this strong shoving it in your face of transgenderism, that's the current indoctrination of the day, right? The NCAA now has fully pushed and gotten behind a 100% man that calls himself a woman that's now considered to be the fastest female swimmer in the world. It's a man. When he was comp competing as a man, you know where he ranked? 400th. <laughs> right? 400th. But when he competes in swimming against women, he's number one. Well, he has, he's a man. One woman actually tied with him. Right? She came in a dead heat, dead tie. You know what the NCAA did? They gave him the trophy. Why? Because it's all about indoctrination. Right? Why, why does Disney and so many, I mean, you can't watch TV today. I, I call out Disney, but it's pretty much everybody now. All of them. You can't watch TV today. You would think the whole world is that way, right? Everybody in it. But that's not reality. Can't watch a movie today. I can't tell you how many movies Dell and I have turned off. We'll start watching it. There it is. Click. It's done. 
Amen. And but it's everywhere. It's everywhere you go. What in the world was Bud Light thinking when they put a picture of a man dressed up like a woman on their can of beer? Now I'd be perfectly happy if they 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 didn't sell another can of beer. But they have lost 17% of their income since they've lost billions of dollars since they've done that. I praise the Lord the beer drinkers are, 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 are raised. I, I wish every beer company would shut down. Don't get me wrong. But what would you think the world would look like if everybody that called themselves a Christian hit that remote control and hit that off button and said, I'm not watching that jump. They'd do an about face just like Bud Light did. Amen. Why do they do that? Indoctrination. The longer a lie is told, the more often a lie is told, it's like evolution, the more likely people are going to believe it. Right? Indoctrination. Clearly what Satan was doing in Daniel chapter 1 did it work? Maybe it worked for some of them, but it didn't work for Daniel. It didn't work for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because they knew the truth. Amen? They knew the truth. And they stood firm on the truth. The devil's busy today. The devil's a liar. And the only power that he has over any of us, anybody, the only power he has over anybody, is to lie to him. It's when we believe the lie, it's when he's got you. Right? If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Amen? All right. Any, any questions or comments?